Today I'll be reading for you and preaching for you out of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. Hear now the word of God. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our, our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for these examples of your mighty and wondrous, gracious deeds in and through your people. We thank you, Father, that we have these accounts, that we have these same promises, and that our hope is centered in the same Christ that we share, and even maybe more fully now in understanding, the same hope that Moses had. But Father, help us to understand the character of your people now in this time, in this age, as we await for your return in that final day to come, that we would understand that we will also bear the reproach of the world as they do not understand, that they do not hope in Jesus Christ. And equip us and strengthen us and encourage us in this time, Father, to endure and hold on to our hope until the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> As we continue in the Hall of Faith, we are now up to Moses. And again, as I've mentioned time and time again, the same template of this particular preacher, the writer to the Hebrews, the preacher to the Hebrews, is here in this story of Moses. We have three particular sections of the account of Moses. We see here Moses' childhood, his very initiation in the protection of Moses. We see here his personal identity and walk with God. And then we see here also Moses' ministry as he was called to be the one who would lead out the people of God from their captivity. And we see that all these things, that every one of these things is rooted in the faith. And here, even very precisely in the middle of this account of Moses, we see highlighted that this is faith in Jesus Christ. It is a wondrous thing that we have the book of Hebrews that makes it very clear to how we can now understand that these things in the Old Testament are not just prophesying about Jesus, but they are truly rooted in Jesus that even though these people did not even know Jesus' name, that their very faith was rooted, that their very walk in how they were equipped and strengthened and the very proclamation of their lives was pointing to Jesus Christ, centered in Jesus Christ. We see here in the very first part about Moses, that he was hidden, that he was ultimately protected and preserved because he was seen to be beautiful. Now, I feel like every sermon lately that I'm always given some sort of 
criticism about the English translation. And I think it's just a difficulty that we have. If we're going to do a word for word to the best of our ability, it is, we're limited. And, and the word does mean beautiful in the original Greek, but it means so much more again than just beautiful. That when they saw, when the parents saw Moses, they saw in him and of him that he had a special calling. That the actual Greek word here is indicating that he was something of a greater calling. That in, I think in some translations of how it's seen is that he was from another city, from, from a, another place. That he was special, that he was beautiful. In the King James, it says that he was proper. But it, it's an elevation that... Moses was going to have a special calling. It wasn't just that he was physically beautiful, that they decided to preserve and protect him. They also had the conviction that many of the Hebrew mothers saw that they are going to protect their children, even though they were given an edict by the Pharaoh, or even though their midwives was given the edict, to kill all of the male children. The Pharaoh was afraid of the growth and the multiplication of the Hebrews. And so therefore he sought to squelch out and diminish them by killing all the male children. We who have the New Testament and we have the gospel account of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we see that once again with Herod. And here is a foreshadowing of what to come. Here is an indication of the character of the world when God's people are flourishing toward the Messiah and in the Messiah. The world will hate God. Those without God's grace, God, those without the mercy and understanding of God will hate his people and the amazing thing, if you go back into the story in Exodus, that the more that he tried to diminish them, the more that they multiplied. But here Moses had a special calling outside of the special calling of all of God's people. And this word beautiful highlights that. And his very name, Moses, here is that he was drawn out of the water. They protected him and preserved him. Though they obeyed in many ways, they actually did put Moses in the river, like Pharaoh said, said all the male children are to be tossed in the river. And ironically, Moses was put into the river, but he had this protection, this little mini ark, this basket that would protect him from the wrath of Pharaoh, and that he would be drawn out, and there would be salvation for him and preparation for him, as he would be a savior for God's people. Moses is probably, along with David, one of the most direct shadows of Jesus Christ. When we think about his particular calling and what he is doing and how he brings about the exodus of God's people from their captivity, Moses is one that resonates that Maybe the most when it comes to being the savior, where we have as David being more of the king, um, the king of God's people. We can see here that Moses is the one that is a Messiah type in a very direct way of, of helping God's people be free from their captivity. And we see here an example of Moses' parents that they were unafraid of the king's edict. They had a proper fear. It's interesting that when we go to the account of Moses' salvation from the wrath of Pharaoh, that it is more so highlighted on the midwives. And it says that the midwives did not fear Pharaoh's calling because they actually feared someone else. We have to fear someone. We either have to fear God or we have to fear man. And the amazing thing here in this first account is that when we fear God, like the midwives, the Hebrew midwives of that time, we actually have less to fear of God. If we are of the posture of fearing God, which is really the calling of the gospel to repent of our sins, then we are to be forgiven. And that fear is diminished because of Jesus Christ. 
they feared God instead of man. And even though there was Pharaoh there, who I'm sure his power and his wrath was very visibly in front of them, the midwives and the parents that was preserving and protecting their children feared God over man. And because of that, the Lord blessed the Hebrew midwives. It says in Exodus that he gave them families, which seems to indicate that many of the midwives did not have families. That may have been one of the reasons why they were involved in the type of work that they were doing is because they did not have families and the Lord blessed them. God's word teaches us that if we obey him, that it will go well with us. It also teaches us that if we fear man, it will not go well with us. This creates a context for us, for us to understand, as you see in the title of my sermon today, that the reproach of Christ is greater. It is, in many people's minds today, in many people's sermon and proclamation, that they should come to church, that they should become Christians, so that they can have a good life. That they can be able to be good citizens in our nation or in our communities or in our world. But the proclamation that we see in the scriptures is that if we come to Christ, we will also bear the reproach that was put upon Christ. That actually if we become Christians and follow faithfully after him, that the world will not want it to go well with us. But that it will go well with us with God, if we seek his refuge. And so my hope today in this particular sermon is to encourage you, as I once again will proclaim to you, that if you seek to follow after Jesus, it will hurt. It will hurt tremendously. It will be painful. And there will be reproach. But Moses, as we see in this account of his own life, considered the reproach of Christ to be greater wealth than the riches of this world. So just backing up a little bit, here we see again in that first part, we see that with Moses' beautiful calling, that he had this special place that was really represented to all of God's people, that as his name indicated as being drawn out of the water, that because he was going to be drawn out of the water through the salvation of God, that he would be a representative and leader for all of God's people to draw near to him. If you remember, there are three lettuces of what we see in the book of Hebrews is that the first lettuce of chapter 10 is that to let us draw near because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can have this confidence to draw near to God. This particular calling that Moses had was to be a leader and a representative of one who is going to help his people draw near to God. We see this highlighted here. And because that particular calling was highlighted in the minds of his parents, they were unafraid of anything else that was in this world that could harm them. And then secondly, we see in Moses' personal identity and walk, starting there in verse 24, that Moses refused to identify with a fleeting people. He refused to be considered the child of Pharaoh's daughter. Excuse me. Yeah, the child of Pharaoh's daughter. Because he saw himself identified with God's people. He knew where he was coming from. His identity was not confused. So the question for us today and the question for the Hebrew Christians that this particular letter was written to as they are actually Hebrew Christians, the writer is reminding that they too, just like Moses and now even more fulfilled in Christ, have this identity that is not to be associated with this world, that they are sojourners and exiles of this particular world, that their home is not rooted here. But they are going somewhere. And so therefore, Moses' confession and identity of who he is, is that he is not to be with this fleeting people that are involved in fleeting sins, in fleeting activities. In verse 25, it says that Moses chose to be mistreated 
rather than to enjoy the fleeting of sin. This is an area that I think is most difficult for us Christians. When we are tempted by sin, we do not realize that we are at the place which is probably the greatest calling of where we are to be in the followers of Christ, that there is going to be suffering, temporal and fleeting suffering, when we have to choose obedience. But that's where we are to stand. A lot of times, if if, if we imagined right now, if, if someone were to burst through those doors, not to scare you all, especially since your backs are to the door, if someone came in the back of the door, and they were armed with weapons, and they said, deny Christ, or you'll be killed, we would tend to romantically, maybe in our own mind, say, I will stand for Christ. I will suffer even death. Or maybe if, they, if you, they were just going to take us captive, and you were imagining, they may torture us, well, maybe romantically in our minds we would say, we will endure the suffering If someone is to come through our doors now, we will endure and we will stand for Christ. But when it comes to the temptation of alluring sins in our lives, and that same kind of a question is really ultimately upon us, are you going to stand for Christ or are you going to give in to sin? It's easy to fold. It's easy to surrender to the sin. It is a suffering thing. It says that Moses chose to be mistreated instead of to enjoy fleeting sin. It's interesting that as he saw his identity to be with God's people, that his identity was ultimately to be covered in the refuge of God, that the thing here that was going to be painful, it doesn't say that his mistreatment was the most painful thing here. It says that instead of enjoying fleeting sin. That the, the, the loss of enjoyment of sin was a part of that suffering. That he would not be able to participate in the enjoyment of what sin has to offer. But we see very clearly in the description of the adjective of what this sin is, that it is fleeting. That the pleasure and the enjoyment of that sin is temporary. That he would choose to be mistreated and to suffer instead of to have the fleeting and temporary enjoyment. That is our calling too, that if we understand our identity in Christ and our identity amongst God's people, that we need to be ready and prepared that we're not going to be able to have that enjoyment of the fleeting sin. We must root and set our focus on some other enjoyment that is greater and long-lasting and true that surpasses those temporary fleeting pleasures of sin. And then we see this wonderful highlighting of what's actually going on here in Moses. And we know that the writer to the Hebrews here is trying to connect as they are the Hebrews. And he is talking about the people who are the Hebrews of old. That Moses, in verse 26, considered the reproach of Christ to be greater wealth. Greater than the treasures of the world, because his greater reward awaited him. Brothers and sisters, those of you that I I could ask you, raise your hands if you are tempted by sin. (laughs) Of course, I said I could, and I wasn't really going to, but I see that some of you already are raising your hands. We are all tempted by sin. When you are tempted by sin... What encourages you and provokes you and stirs you to flee away from it? Is it solely the wrath of God? Is it the embarrassment and the shame that you may get from other people? Not that those are not important things to have weighing upon us when we're considering sin. But when we are tempted... Do you have in your mind the great reward? Do you have in your mind the great reward that God promises to those who endure? 
Now, I'm not talking about the great reward of salvation. These are for people who are already sought refuge in Christ. I am not preaching here a works-based salvation. This is thing, these are things that are already established by being the people of God, by being those who are under Christ. We already see in the first part that Moses was already under that particular calling and that under that particular blessing of the salvation of God, that he wasn't trying to achieve salvation and justification because of his acts, but because he had been given a particular calling and because he had already been rooted and established as being a part of the people of God, he knew that there was a promised reward for those who endure in obedience. We too are to be encouraged. We see here in this scripture, just as we see in all of Hebrews, that there is a reward for those who continue to endure in faithfulness. Just like last week that I said that we want that our foundation is in Christ, number one. And for those who seek refuge in him through repentance and faith, our foundation is in Christ. But we want our work that is built on that foundation to be the things that are preserved through that final wrath and completion of his earth. We want it to be things that are of gold that will be able to be refined by the fire, not things that will be tossed away and that there will be nothing there to show. We want our ultimate reward to be the glory of Jesus Christ and the goodness of walking with him. We are reminded also in the previous passages that we looked at at this sweetness of being able to walk with God like Enoch walked with God, that there is a sweetness and a reward in the here and now and is what to come in walking with the Lord. This is why when we see martyrs who are on the stake being set afire, that there is this pleasure in their face and in their songs that, are, that it's, it's very difficult for us to understand. How can they be enjoying their moment of their demise, their physical demise? It's because their reward is set on something that is beyond this world. It is greater than the treasures of this world. We have this insight that we don't even really get out of Exodus in a very personal way that is, is even highlighted even more in the, this particular book of the Hebrews. That it is that Moses considered the reproach to be greater. That in his mind, in his heart, that he saw a reward in enduring the reproach that he was going to receive from others and the reproach that he would receive from Pharaoh. We see here that our calling is to echo much like what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Indeed, I count everything, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ." The mark of the mature Christian is that when those temptations begin and continue to be rubbish in our hearts and minds. You know, I, I still experience that sometimes. We, we celebrated the end of summer and the beginning of fall. Um, we also kind of had like a celebration of Hobbit Day. We, we like to follow Tolkien's um, stories about the Hobbits. And the last day of summer is, the, is called Hobbit Day because Frodo and Bilbo's um, birthday was on September 22nd. And, and fall begins in September 23rd. And so uh, we wanted to party it up a little bit. I bought some fireworks and I bought donuts. And donuts look so great. And I remember having so much joyous times eating donuts. But as I get older and I deal with more health issues and I don't feel good as much as I used to, um, every time I eat a donut, I just feel bleh. <laughs> it doesn't feel so great. It's not so wonderful. I'm still enticed by them. You know, they're so pretty and colorful and they, you know, they got all these different nice smells and flavors and then you eat one and you're just kind of like, ugh. <laughs> and they leave this lardy aftertaste in your mouth and <laughs> everything. Well, that's the way sin is to be for the mature Christian, that it should become more and more like that. The kids probably don't have a clue to what I'm talking about because they're like, oh, it's so great. It's so wonderful. We love donuts. 
But as we mature away from sin and over and over again, it should become like rubbish. This stuff is worthless to me. (laughs) Being able to walk in health and be strengthened is far greater than what temporal and fleeting benefit that what the world has to offer. That is what Paul is saying here, is that the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord is greater than this rubbish. And for Moses, it was the same, that actually not just the actual walking, but the actual approach itself was something that was greater than the pleasure of sin. And that's where it really hits at a different level. I know that Richard and Mary this past week, as they stood in front of the abortion mill on Friday, and I heard the stories of the scorn from the people who work there and who volunteer there, and even the neighbors that came by and ironically accused them of bullying as they are bullying them, while people are bringing their children to be killed and sacrificed, in a way that should remind us of what the world called the Hebrews to do to their children. That, that reproach that those Christians experience from the enemies of God who declare heinous things and who declare them claiming the name of God even. That they would use in the name of God that it is a good thing to kill little children. To have to listen to that and to have that reproach thrown upon them, that is actually to be a more valuable thing to us than sin. That for the Christians walking with the Lord, we should understand that we have the privilege and the benefit of carrying the same reproach that Jesus Christ carried on our behalf, that we get to be like our Savior in being scorned by the world. We'll come back to that in just a few minutes, but we see that also by faith, we see Moses' ministry in verse 26, that he left Egypt. See, he, he knew that his position and privilege was fleeting, that it was ultimately captivity. And that's what sin is. That our, what we think is some kind of position and privilege to be experiencing sin, it's ultimately captivity. He saw that his particular role as being the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter was really still ultimately captivity. And so now that he saw his identity to be with God's people and his identity to be the savior of God's people, he left Egypt not being afraid of the fleeting king because he was focused on the eternal king. Verse 27, it says that he endured this scorn and this reproach seeing him who is invisible because again, he feared God over man. He ultimately feared Jesus Christ and sought Jesus Christ Even though not only was he invisible to him, even his identity was invisible to him. Where it is not invisible to us, we know the person of Jesus Christ proclaimed in his word that Moses endured by setting his sights ultimately on Jesus Christ. That when we are facing the reproach of the world, we need to be focusing ultimately on Jesus Christ. And in verse 28 we see how this is brought to his practice in obedience to what God called because he held on to the Passover and the sprinkled blood. I hope you see here that we see this holding on to the sacramental calling of God for God's people was still ultimately, and we can see this very clearly when we read the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament, that this is Jesus Christ. This Passover meal that we are about to take here in just a moment is a richer and fuller revelation of the very Passover meal that they experience. The sprinkled blood that they are hoping in that washes them clean and protects them from wrath 
we know is our baptism as God's people, that as he held on to these things along with the households of God, he was drawing near corporately as a whole, holding on to the things so that the destroyer might not touch them. Meaning for the firstborn children of the households, that they were seeing their households to be covered by the blood of the Lamb. And in verse 29, we see as the, God's people goes through the Red Sea, we see Moses leading the people of God toward the promises, toward the exodus, because the wrath is to come upon the enemies of God. And it says that God's people made it through the sea, but as the Egyptians followed them, because they did not have the blood of Jesus Christ, because they cannot draw near without the blood of Jesus Christ, they perished and are destroyed. And much like the flood that destroyed the earth, the flood that came upon them in the Red Sea destroyed them and became their end. We see all three of these, that we have this drawing near, this identity of being drawn, those who are called to be drawn near to Christ in the very beginning of Moses' life. We see this call to hold fast the confession without wavering as an example in Moses' life as he sought to be identified with his people, to be those who would even be those who would be mistreated so that they would not waver toward the fleeting sin. And then we see this corporate calling of God's people to come together, to be stirred up in obedience and love as they advanced forward in the kingdom of God. So that is a highlight of the life of Moses in this hall of faith. But what I want to talk about is to go a little bit further about this understanding of the identity of the reproach of Christ. And I want to finish the other half of my sermon on focusing on that because that is an area that I think we can see here that is highlighted very clearly as they were, again and again we see that they were not fearing man because they were fearing God. And because they were fearing God, they did not have to fear God because they were able to draw near. There's a duality in the Bible about the concept of reproach. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, highlights that, du that duality. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. This is what I was talking about a moment ago, that it is a blessing to be reproached. It is a hard thing for me to hear stories about Richard and Mary being out there on Friday. And I feel like, wow, I, I, what was I doing on Friday? And it was at work. And there they were being reproached by these people, calling them names and yelling at them and screaming at them. And as they were having that done, they were watching people take their children to be sacrificed. And I think that what a horrible thing. It says here that when you're suffering that reproach, that you're blessed because they're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. It seems that we see here in this passage that there's going to be reproach one way or the other. There's going to be either the reproach of man or the reproach of God. And we see this throughout the whole scripture. But the people of God is a story, is a character of having to be a people that have to bear certain kinds of reproach. Now ultimately, reproach is a fruit of sin. It's just a matter of where that reproach is coming from. We know that because of sin, there's going to be difficulty in our particular callings to build the kingdom. And so we know that because of sin and because of the fallenness of the world and because there's sin in the world, it's going to be difficult to be able to be obedient, to be faithful. But when we are not obedient and faithful, that the kind of reproach that we're going to receive is going to be from God. So it's a matter of choosing which path. 
I see that we have this identity and this calling and this character of God's people, even as far back as Genesis chapter 30 and verse 23, when we see that Rachel conceived and bore a son who was Joseph, she said that God had taken away my reproach. Now, what we see here is that there wasn't any kind of particular sinfulness in of herself, but she received reproach for two reasons. One is that she wanted to have a child that would be the fulfillment of the promises, but she was also having to deal within the embarrassment of her situation with Leah. And so therefore, when Joseph came, that she proclaimed that God had taken away my reproach, that in this bearing forth of children, which is a calling that they had from the very beginning in Genesis, early parts of Genesis, and because of sin, it would be a difficult thing that God fulfilling his promises in and through Joseph, that God had taken away reproach. This creates a setting and a character and a sense of what it is like to be for God's people, that there is reproach, but then there is salvation from that reproach. That is ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ. Even here in Joseph, who is a predecessor of Moses, even in Exodus in chapter 1, the story of Moses begins with people did not remember who Joseph was. And therefore their captivity even got even deeper. That God keeps having God's people go through seasons of reproach. And therefore he, inside of that is where he brings forth the salvation we see later on as the Lord speaks to Joshua in Joshua chapter 5, verse 9, when the people that did not know what it was like to leave Egypt, but the next generation who were still uncircumcised, when they became circumcised in highlighting their need for the, the bloodshed, the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so that the name of that place is called Gagal to this day, highlighting again that when they are resting upon the blood that's pointing ultimately to the blood of Jesus Christ, that the reproach of the world is not going to be a thing that will keep them down. That God will take away that reproach in his salvation. 1 Samuel chapter 17 Verse 25 through 27, we begin to see this shadow coming more and more clear in being Jesus Christ when it said that the men of Israel said, in light of what was going on with Goliath, it says, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Here we see this foreshadowing of Jesus Christ killing the enemy of God, killing the giant enemy of God, and the reward for the one who will defeat the enemy of God will be that he will have his daughter and his father's house will be free. The reproach that is put upon God's people will be removed. That story did not end there for reproach for God's people. Ultimately, again, it is pointing to something that is going to be greater to come. We see a, really a shadow of this complete fulfillment of that reproach being removed from God's people, ultimately in Jesus Christ. But it is something that we carry along with us in our identity in the here and now until the very end, waiting for the ultimate reproach, the reproach that Christians face today. And not just in extreme situations that we're talking about in front of the abortion mill, but in the challenges of dealing with our own sin, in the challenges of dealing in our own marriages, in the challenges in dealing with the raising of children and trying to raise them up on the right path, in the challenges of work, 
There is going to be reproach and difficulty and suffering that is still resonating ever since the fall. But there is this promise that the reproach will be ultimately removed in Jesus Christ. And so as we endeavor forward, holding on to that hope in Jesus Christ, we can say that this reproach that we are enduring, whether it's through dealing with a foster child, that's difficult, even in the service when I'm trying to stay focused and I am keep going back over here. That that reproach, because of the ultimate calling that we have to minister to our community, it's okay. It's worth it. It's a greater wealth than the pleasures of, let's get this child out of here so that I can focus on my sermon. So that I can have a maybe a more clear and concise sermon for you guys. Let's not have children in our service anymore like this. You start to see what I'm saying? The reproach is greater. It's better to have to deal with that difficulty. So that we can see the kingdom of God flourish the way that God intended. Not the way that I intended this morning to always go. Nice and smooth and clean and Seemingly perfect. Because we have to understand that when we abandon our calling and our endurance and the continuing on, even with the, the reproach of the world, that we will have the reproach of God. We see in the scriptures time and time again that God promises reproach to those who are disobedient. First in the household of God, we see in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 39 through 40, as a promise of judgment against the people of God when they abandon God. It says, Therefore, behold, I will surely lift you up and cast you away from my presence, you and the city that I gave you and your fathers, and I will bring upon you everlasting reproach and perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten, that if we are those who were particularly given that identity of God, who claim the name of God, and we still go against God's calling and His command, God promises an everlasting reproach, a very harsh and difficult perpetual shame will be upon those who are foolish and turn away from God, especially those who have been given much in the understanding of His truth. In Ezekiel chapter 5, another prophecy of reproach in verses 14 through 15, it says, Moreover, I will make you a desolation and an object of reproach among the nations all around you in the sight of all who pass by. You shall be a reproach and a taunt, a warning and a horror to the nations all around you when I execute judgments on you in anger and fury and with furious rebukes. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So again, which reproach do you desire? The reproach of the world, a fleeting king, fleeting edicts, or the reproach of an eternal God and living God, an everlasting and perpetual shame and horror that will be an example to the nations of what God does to those who turn away from him. We live in a day and age where the weapon of the world today more than anything else, and we've seen it in the last three years, is to shame people into following their ideology. We're not at a place right now where, well, let me back up, we are. People are being arrested um, and are being imprisoned and in some cases are being tortured in the world. But in our nation, the, 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 the tool that has caused the greatest effect of getting people to submit to the king's edicts, the earthly king's edicts today, has not been the sword so much. It's social shame. It's the reproach of the world. If you don't follow a particular ideology or embrace it, you will be shamed by people on social media, by your neighbors, because the end thing is to do this or that. The end thing is to be confused about identity when it comes to your own understanding of gender. The end thing is to toss off authority. To really see the marriage relationship to be a scornful thing. To actually see children. That we should celebrate our liberty from having children. 
And that if you are one who sees yourself as those who submit together as husband and wife, and if you are those who desire to raise up your children to follow after God, well, how shameful that you would force your children to believe in a God. Let them choose for themselves not only what God they worship, but who they are. Let them carry out whatever they desire, even whatever gender they are. How shameful it is for you that you would be a tyrant in your home and teach those things. See what I'm talking about? That's the shame and the reproach of the world. And then if that doesn't work, they'll sue you and imprison you. But their first weapon of choice is reproach. You'll be shamed amongst your co-workers unless you follow along with the diversity, equity, inclusion sermons that you have to listen to. I know some of you have to listen to this. As I'm a contractor with the government, I know that some of you who are in working for the government has to listen to that junk. You need to celebrate it. You need to embrace it. You need to proclaim it. And how shameful it is that you would point back to the word of God. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 2 through 3 and 6 and 7, it says, Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy said of you, Ha ha! And the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, precisely because they made you desolate and crushed you from all sides, so that you became a possession of the rest of the nations, and you became the talk and evil gossip of this people. Therefore prophesy prophesy concerning the land of Israel, and say to the mountains and the hills, and to the ravines and the valleys, thus says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealous wrath, Because you have suffered the reproach of nations, therefore thus says the Lord God, I swear that the nations that are around you shall themselves suffer reproach. That precisely this shame and crushing that they put upon God's people will come back upon them. We don't have to do it. Vengeance is not ours. Vengeance is the Lord. He promises that when you suffer reproach from the nations and from our nation, that those particular swords that they point toward you will come right back upon them. The Lord promises that his reproach will come upon the enemies. But we also see in the prophecy, in the, in the prophets, Zephaniah chapter 3, 17 through 18 The Lord God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. This is a promise of the mighty one, Jesus Christ, who will save. This is an amazing thing that our Savior says that he will rejoice over us with gladness. He will quiet us by his love. He will exult over us. He will be the one doing the loud singing that when we have to listen to the loud reproach and scorn of the world, whether it be through the things that we hear through DEI sermons or through social media or when you're on the street standing for the innocent life of children, Jesus' singing will be louder as he exalts over his faithful servants. And for those of you who mourn for that feasting, for that completion, for that end at the great wedding feast, we will no longer, there will be a day when we will no longer suffer reproach. We see in the gospel introduction Just like Rachel was a precursor that her child would be the one who would be the predecessor that would lead to Moses, the Messiah for those people in that time, the shadow Messiah of the ultimate Messiah. We see in Luke chapter 1 verse 25 with Elizabeth as she has in her womb the predecessor who will proclaim And prophesy Jesus Christ. It says thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me. To take away my reproach among the people. 
the whole context of the gospel, of the Messiah, the, the shadow messiahs and the ultimate messiah, the prophet messiahs that are going to point to the ultimate messiah is the removing of reproach. It is the context of the gospel that even though as we live in the gospel today and we have to bear the reproach of the world, we have this hope of the full removal of reproach. So brothers and sisters, fear the right things. Because in Christ, you need not to fear man. But when your rest and your hope is rooted in Christ, you no longer have to fear God. Because he is our brother who has taken that reproach for us on the cross. Brothers and sisters, be set on the promises. Identify in the promises of God, not in the fleeting promises of the world, that you will get some kind of notoriety and position of being some kind of virtue king of the world and understand that God is virtue with a capital V. Suffer for the sake of better riches Walk without wavering. See the promises, see the promises of Christ and endure and advance forward as the people of God. Stir one another up in this. Encourage your brothers and sisters, whether they're struggling in their marriages, struggling in their parenting, struggling in their ministry on the street or at work, struggling when they have to Maneuver of whether or not they're going to lose their job if they don't do this or that that the world is threatening them with. Stir them up in that hope. We need that stirring up of one another. Pray for one another. Love one another. Then lastly, remember these words that Paul gave us in Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. To build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of our endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we... Thank you.